purpose. I just spat coffee everywhere. <laughs> All over your beautiful microphones and oh your beauty. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. I was just trying to crack my peanut. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm sorry. Good after recover from that. Okay. All right. Can I, can I welcome? What? Well, do you want to welcome us? Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Your Queer Story with your host, Samantha Taylor, the best wife that Evan Jones has ever had. Well, that's true. That is fair. Not the best husband I've ever had, but the best wife I've ever had. And this is Evan Jones, and Paul has ditched us to go to DragCon for some reason. But that's okay, because we have four people here today, two beautiful guest and of course my lovely wife who is shoving a boiled peanut in her mouth as we speak and just keeping the romance alive so um with us today we have my sisters deanna hello and my sister katie hello and my wife as you heard hey so this week, with Paul being at DragCon, we've decided to take a different direction and i am always begging evan to do some personal pieces on this podcast mm. rather than all of the history. And so this week we're going to delve into Evan's background and talk to his sisters about the, leaving um, a cult. Leaving a cult. Yeah. And we will be back next week for our regular podcast. The last two episodes have been, well, last week and this week have been interviews uh, good stuff. If you haven't heard the um, episode with Vima on being an ally to people of color, you should. But um, uh, and then we've got the interview this week. And then next week, we're going to be back and we're going to be talking about polyamory and getting kinky on episode 69. So I hang cannot there. wait to listen to exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> it's interesting because we have we have my sister, Deanna, who is a hardcore fan. Yes. Woo! We have my wife, Samantha, who only begrudgingly listens to the episodes and not even all of them. And then we have my sister, Katie, who has never seen heard a single episode. That's because Evan won't let me. That's not true. <laughs> you are welcome to. They're on all platforms. Hey, we're on Pandora now, guys. So if you want to listen on Pandora, you can do that. Oh, I'm going to have to do that because I like Pandora. All right. <clears throat> so go ahead, honey. You want to take over. She's like, I want to take over. I'm going to be in charge. Are you going to let me be in charge, Evan? And now all she's doing is eating peanuts. Shut up. Okay. All right. Okay, so we're going to start by asking um, a big question that some people may not know, and that is what is the IFB? Um, I know that, like, there's... I mean, obviously, I know what the IFB is, but I'm sure there's a very technical definition that Evan probably could explain a little bit better, hopefully. I don't know. Do you remember the Baptist distinctives from college? Oh, shit. There's one is priesthood of the believer is the P because they did the B-A- Oh, they did like Yeah, the Baptist. Yeah. And then A is like authority, Um, but it's it's... It is in like detail, like they basically Bre- teach us who we are. Is it brethren maybe first? Yeah. Brethren. Brethren. Assholes. <laughs> Pedophiles. I don't know. Trans haters. One of them is one of them is like tithes and offerings or something. Like that. Of course it's tithes right. and offerings. Right. Of course. Tithes it is. and offerings. Yeah. So I mean I do, I don't have the I mean 
of course, there's the term that the IFB, Independent Fundamental Baptists, have for themselves. And, of course, there's like reality. But if you want to know more about the history of the IFB, if you're from the IFB, if you're from a similar cult. So it's very hard to, to prove the IFB is a cult because it's a string of thousands of churches that are all independent. And some churches really are just independent churches. They're just independent fundamental Baptist church. They do their thing. They mind their business. I think the one point to make is that it's the fundamentalist part yeah. that really separates them from Baptists and oh, even yeah. independent Baptists. Because I know like people who are independent Baptists, they're independent from maybe the Southern Baptist Convention or the American Baptist Convention. Those things, they're just independent, but they're not fundamentalist. And that's the part that makes it the cult, the fundamentalist yeah. part, not the independent or the Baptist. It's the fundamentalist yeah. part. Anytime you get into fundamentalism, what, no matter what religion it is, when you find the fundamental i mean isis is fundamentalism of islam right like anytime you get into the fundamentalist people are like we're getting down to the basics that just really means that they're isolationists they're exclusionists and they're um they're fucking batshit crazy and they think that everyone else isn't being extreme enough well but even the independent part is humorous because they're, they're not, not. <laughs> right right like they yeah. all care what every other church thinks about them they're not independent at all they're a big group yeah it's well like that's multiple that's, that's what i mean yeah if they were independent then they wouldn't be able to move priests from one church right. to another Pastors. when there was a scandal after they raised one person not priest at, yeah. to catholic <laughs> <laughs> but she's right she's right right though. yeah you're definitely right yeah <laughs> no she's right though because so that's what i mean like on if you look at it on paper, it looks like it's hard to track. But when you really break it down and you start following the movements, you see a few distinct leaders emerge in fundamentalist history and in current history. And I mean, fundamentalism as... Um, I didn't take a ESL. <laughs> what? Fundamentalism in general is a lot about... Um, keeping separate. Yeah. So being separate is really something they pride themselves in is separating themselves from the world, being everyone else that's not inside their church. Yeah, um, or so their brand. Or their brand, right? Um, so so separating, from, separating you from your family that isn't in, separating you from your coworkers who aren't in, um, those type of things, that's also what makes independent fundamental baptist occult is yeah. the separation well right. and and like i said when you really check it down you can name who the leaders are in the ifb so when you break it down you can really see who the leaders are so there are leaders there are churches that that have a say and they have a pool and the way that they lead and they control is through isolation so if you've decided you're not going to follow say leader jack hiles bob jones john r rice um, uh, what's his name? Uh, you know, if you go back further in history, William Jennings Bryan or um, J. Frank Norris, then you, um, if you decide you're not going to follow those leaders, all of a sudden you find yourself very isolated as a church. And when you're only about 20 people in the middle of nowhere, that becomes lonely. That becomes hard. You can't fund your church anymore because you're not getting outside resources. Your name's not getting built. You're not getting what you need. And then these churches close their doors. So that's how they maintain control is through isolation. So I actually have the Baptist distinctives and what they actually, we were taught. So it's, and is that an acronym? Mm -hmm. 
a side note, Evan, Katie, and Deanna all grew up very much going to this church. I feel like yeah, well, and that was not said. So. Well, and schools, yeah, you're right. schools yeah. from kindergarten on, and um, also college. Well, we can we can get to the we can get the history. We were just trying to find the IFB, but you're right. I didn't want to get too far into it, and then yeah. But the so it's biblical authority is the B. Um, A is autonomy of the local church. P is priesthood of the believer. T is two ordinances, communion slash baptism. I is individual soul liberty. S is separation of church and state. T is two offices, pastor and deacon. And S is saved church membership. Well, that's just boring as fuck. <laughs> wow. Right. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's the, yeah. yeah. But in order to be a Baptist, you have to like believe all of those things and all that. So now that we know that what the IFB is, the Independent Fundamental Baptist, how have you three been tied to it? Um, what was your experience growing up? Did you find the church? Um, well, we were in it from birth, I guess you could say. Um, I know I can speak for both my parents. Um, they were also in it from birth. My grandfather on both sides is a pastor, or both were pastors. My one grandfather's passed away, but he was pastor and evangelist. Um, and I know he started it on that side of the family because he grew up Jewish. So he started it, and then so then my dad, and then, um, down to me so it was from the nursery of the mm. hospital to the nursery of the church <laughs> so yeah um i was born into it my dad was a pastor of an independent fundamental fundamental baptist church and so yeah we were we are so we we're all siblings but we were related later in life so like when katie's saying her dad she means my our uh, our father, and then Deanna was talking about her father, who was our stepfather. Right. We're a blended family. Yeah. Um, but, so we were born, you know, right into skirts, and which is what they believe, <laughs> that women yeah. should wear skirts full time. Um, even for a while, they believed even like pajamas were dresses and gowns. Yeah, yeah. Even what you right. wore to bed at night had to right. be modest. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, but so yes, I was born into it. I still am a Christian. I believe in God and all of that, but I don't believe at all the independent fundamental Baptist way. That's hard to say. Yeah, the IFB. That's why we say the IFB. <laughs> That's why we say right, IFB, right. right? Okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I was just going to, so I was going to say, so if you're for our particular brand, so we were uh, the affiliates of Jack Hiles. So when you look Tracy IFB in the history, you can see again different what we sometimes call the Godfathers of the IFB. So there's men who like Bob Jones, Bob Jones University down in South, uh, North Carolina, like that is considered a um, like a a hub of IFB. You've got Pensacola Christian College down in Florida, I believe. That's considered a hub of, of the IFB. Out on the West Coast, you've got. Golden State Bible Baptist College. That's a hub. And you have West Coast as well. And you have West Coast Baptist College. And in the North, um, like Midwest, there was Hiles Anderson College run by a man named Jack Hiles who died about 20 years ago. 
And he was our leader. So he was the one that had the cult leader that had a lot of influence on our life. And again, when you go to individual churches, you might find that they're not as culty. But when you get in these hubs, they are very much a cult. And you can tell from the abuse and and the manipulation. Well, and you can even go to a church and not realize how culty it is until a few years down the road. And you're like... Oh crap, this is Well, that's the thing up. about a cult. Nobody walks in and says, Oh, this is a cult. I think I'm gonna join. Right. Everybody right. walks in and thinks, Wow, look at this new <laughs> way that they're thinking. This is <laughs> these people are so happy and they're so energetic. I want what they have. Because that's what cults do. They sell themselves and that's why people join cults. Well, and if you've been in it your whole life and then you get to another place and you're like, Oh, well, maybe they're just a little extreme in this area. I can accept it, but whatever. And you don't you don't think about it because you've been brainwashed your whole life. So then yeah. you're like, we're not supposed to think. Right. We're not right. supposed to think for ourselves. We don't think for ourselves. Right. No, we let our, the we man being, of God yeah. think for us. They tell us what to do and think. So can uh, each of you give about maybe a five, five minute uh, rundown of your experience growing up in the IFB and um, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this is Deanna. I'll start. Um, so I mean, pretty much didn't know any different. So, um, but when I was four years old, my parents got divorced and which was definitely not something that you did in the IFB, but it happened. Very frowned upon. Right. Um, it happened and, um, the leadership um, basically um, fought for my dad. And so we lived with him. He got custody and they, that's a whole other podcast. Right. But uh, you, can you just say like that goes to like the cult where like your right. dad stayed in the IFB. Your mom was trying to get out. That's what she was doing. Yeah. She my was mom was trying to get out. Of the, the and, IFB. Uh, right. She was trying to get out of the IFB. And because she was doing that, they basically had people lie um, and go to court and sign affidavits um, that made it like she abandoned us kids. And so she lost custody of us. And my dad had full custody and he was praised in the church for raising four kids on his own and writing a book and all of that stuff Um, based on but it was all just power right based on lies right um so but um basically just i mean life was life i didn't really know until it was probably seven the first time i wore i remember vividly um, my mom getting me a pair of shorts overalls and i didn't know that that was i was probably actually in third second or third grade because i was not doing cheerleading in school but i remember wearing those and then telling my um, grandma who lived with us um that i wore them and her just like breaking down crying and just telling me like i can't believe you did that you signed up you can't be a cheerleader if you wear shorts and that was very important like we didn't have much and so that was very important so i decided not to do that and my mom took us to the movies a couple of times and that was that never went over well um and so we just basically decided that I personally decided that I wasn't going to do that. I was going to be the rule follower. I mean, at a young age, at seven, eight years old, decided that, you know, I was going to follow all of the rules and do everything that they said. Because one, I didn't want to disappoint my dad or my leaders, which is very important in the IFB. And um, also, I didn't want 
to, um, I don't know, I just didn't want to do anything wrong. Um, and so I did that. And I did that all the way through middle school, junior high, and through high school. All in a school run by the church. All in a school run by the church, right. Um, I did go to my mom's every other weekend. And, um, you know, there were times in my life that, you know, I would listen to bad music. <laughs> which was just regular music. Um, right, which was just like country most of the time. Um but I learned, like, I would ask, how, what am I, I would ask my leaders, like, what am I supposed to do? It's my mom. I can't tell her not to play it um, because she's an adult. But what am I supposed to do? And they would tell me, well, just think about hymns in your mind and block out those songs so you don't have to hear them. And that's what I did. Um, so, but there was definitely times in my life where I would listen and then there was times I'd get right with God and not listen um, or not watch TV or whatever I was supposed to do. But I did have a little bit of a reprieve going over there. Um, but I also was very committed um, to the church. And when I was a senior in high school and I graduated, I won the award for the best IFB kid. <laughs> I bet they've scratched my name off by now, I hope. <laughs> um, but I uh, I won the award for the best IFB kid and got a free year scholarship to um, their college. And um, I did that. I went for a year. Uh, so, I mean, it was just, I don't know, it was a lot of faking. I re- like looking back now, then I didn't realize, but looking back now, I realized how unhappy I was um, and also how how much I faked my life, how much of what I did every single day was, was fake. Um, it, it's easy, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. but, um, when you're in it, you think you're doing everything the way that you should be and you're supposed to. You think you're doing it the way you want to. Yeah. You think it's your choice, right? For sure. And, um, I definitely know now that it was never my choice. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Kate. So it's really interesting that we have three of us and we have so three different perspectives on this. So what was your experience, Kate? <clears throat> well, I, um, like I said, I, I was born into the IFB and I mean, then our, our dad passed away. Mm-hmm. So after that happened, we were moved from South Carolina, like away from all of our family that basically raised us because our dad was so sick for a while you know so we were kind of ripped away from that them which was very i think hurt us all but um we but hiles jack hiles had offered our mom a job at the christian school as a teacher you know um and she they had gone my parents both of my parents had gone to the hiles uh college and graduated from there and all that. So we were put in the, in the grade school there or the elementary school. Yeah. Right. Um, and then I went from elementary, junior high, high school. Kindergarten, right? You were Yeah. Yes. I was kindergarten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you know, elementary school, I never really, I don't really, I didn't really think about anything, you know, like nothing really shocked me that was like wrong. But then junior high, I was, I, I started dealing with my dad's death a lot more. And I was kind of like shocked at how it was handled because, well, we were, my, my mom got remarried to Deanna's dad. And so we are, 
our uh, families merged when I was six. So, you know, we were all big family, big happy family. And, um, <laughs> sarcasm. Emerging that was very much orchestrated by Hiles. Right, right, right. Like, it was orchestrated in such a weird way that it's weird to talk way. about. <laughs> um, because, like, the when my dad was in the hospital, he sent Dan to... To, my to, dad's church. Yeah. No, he had just died. He was like he two weeks. Died. He had died two weeks ago or something. And he sent him to the church to check out my mom. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Fresh new widow. So, and then it, conveniently we moved like five months later, you know. Left, left our entire family. Yeah. You know, we didn't know. Entire didn't family. Know, I mean, my mom knew a few people up north from being, right. being in school. but Just like, we friends, left. but yeah. no family. Our, our entire family lived in South Carolina and we moved them all. From South Carolina to Indiana, which is all from one end of the country to the other. Right. And which it was, the timing is crazy because, you know, he died in February of 96. We moved in August yeah. or maybe July because July. school oh, started oh, in it August. Was, it was July of, of 96, yeah. like months later. And then the Dan and Janice started dating the in next February. 97, like literally a year, right a year of, right after my dad died. I should say that I've heard Janice brag about that, that she waited an entire year after her husband passed away. See, I, I am married and I can't even imagine. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. I don't, it's it's a complicated thing. Because right. you know that Hiles was pushing and organizing. Right. And you, it was, and she had spent a long time watching her husband die. But that's, anyways, the whole thing is we, we got merged together. Right. So anyway, so we got merged and um, so anyway, I was kind of in junior high, things started hitting me as far as like how the death of my father was handled because we weren't allowed to have pictures of him. We weren't we didn't really speak about him. The only person that spoke about him was my his mom, my father's mom, which, you know, she's amazing. Um just to throw that in there. But uh, so anyway, so that's that was our only like outlet for him. So then that kind of just starts affecting you. So then you start thinking more like why, like who handles things like that? You know, what kind of people and all that. So I started um, getting close to one of the teachers at the junior high and really... I mean, she was kind of the a really, really good person in general. Like, yeah. yes, she was in the IFB, but she was like one of those people that was like good, like a good person. Well, there's a lot of good people. Oh, yeah. Could, I mean, that's what attracts people, right? They, they mm -hmm. think that they're going to become better Yeah, and she and was there others. to help the kids in school right. and all that. So, and she really did. But I would not have made it through that those years without her. But... um in high school, I pretty much, I was going astray, as they would call it. <laughs> um, and Which then... just means asking questions. Right. Well, I was, you know, listening to music and all of that stuff. Being a normal, typical teenager. Right, right. But then um, my best friend died. So then it was a big, huge... Like, it was almost like they played on the, her death as far as, like, let's have a revival because all these kids' hearts are broken. You know, like... Right. They're vulnerable. Right. That's, I mean, that's how Hiles got 
mom to move exactly. up to Indiana because she was in a vulnerable place. Tell her to leave. These kids mm-hmm. are in a vulnerable place. One of their own has died. Now yeah. eight pounds. And then you get, you know, you kind of get sucked in even more because you're like, it's like whenever somebody dies, you think, okay, this, I and, I, and you love that person. You're like, okay, that person believed this way. So I, you know, that's obviously right. And like, I want to be that like that person. Yeah. Like you just, I don't know. It does something to you. So then I was like, oh, I need to. And she had written down in her Bible, because we always had to carry a Bible to classes in the um, high school. Um, but she had written down in her Bible that she wanted to pray for me because I was going astray. So she was a very good person. But, you know, that's how we were taught. But um, so anyway, so I wanted to be like her. So then it was my that was my junior year. So my senior year, I was very much like. Bible all the way. I went to like prayer meetings and all that stuff. And um, even Evan challenged me in those days. We were, I, well, when I was going astray, Evan was worried about me and told me that he could, he would take me to the batting cages if I would listen to this um, high up IFB woman's basically like tapes back in the day was tapes. So that way I could, and if I read my Bible every day, then I would get to go to the batting cages with Evan. Sorry, I was trying to (laughs) save you from the pits of hell. (laughs) Well, it's just how much like we were both in it, you know, like it's just crazy. So anyway, we um went. So she did. Wait, let me get my thoughts here. Hold on, Paul. She died. You got closer to God. Right. Oh, right. So I wasn't going to go to Hiles before she died, but then... Hiles Anderson College. Right. Hiles Anderson College. Right. Um, I wasn't going to go there, but, you know, she died and I got all right with God and all that stuff. And I did end up going on a missions trip, which really is kind of like a play on kids' emotions, like take them to the foreign field and see all these people living. I mean, it's like horrendous conditions. And so then you feel bad and, you know, we're supposed to witness to them and which... Yeah, yeah, save the lost. Right. Witnessing is when you talk about God and try to save their soul. Right, right. And of course, Christians in other countries don't count unless they've been saved by us. So, and of course, people... Faith in other countries don't count. They're all just lost souls. Right. They really need these white IFBs yeah. to come save them. Well, and it's all about, it was all about numbers. And that really yeah. started bothering Made me more look, in college. Yeah. But anyway, so I went to college and um, I, college kind of started turning me more like um, against the, more of the college ways. It wasn't really IFB ways because of how, they would do these bus routes and it was all about numbers. And so they would literally send buses, like hundreds of was, buses. There's anywhere, like, like in the heyday, there was almost 500 buses yeah. going to Chicago and like the poor, the poor areas like Gary, Indiana mm-hmm. and picking kids up and bringing them into the church. And, right. and like Katie said, it's really just about making the numbers look good. Right. And again, making your cult look attractive. Yes. But they would do it in such like discriminating ways I guess like you weren't allowed to pick up um African Americans (laughs) you couldn't pick up black kids right you couldn't pick up African Americans with Mexican people like you couldn't mix the two because I don't know because okay because my bus my bus captain 
he was actually, I had four little black kids that were supposed to come one Sunday and he would not pick them up because he's like, no, I'm not going to become a black bus route. Yeah. And I was like, why? Like what, why can't these kids come? And then he was, you know, it was very racist because if you're trying to save souls for Jesus, then what color skin, right. like why does the color of their skin matter? Because Clearly you're yeah. not actually trying to save souls for Jesus because if that was true, you would pick up those four black right. kids. But it was literally like a rule. It like, was a rule. It yes. was because it was, it was a and it was the, rule. It was because of the gangs I know and because no. there was... It wasn't because of the Well, gang. that's what they told me. Right. No, <laughs> it was because the church people were complaining that there were too many oh, black kids. Oh, right, right. Okay. So anyway... <sighs> But so that started really making me mad because I was all going out. I mean, we would literally get out there at 10 o'clock in the morning and they would drop off girls on corners in Chicago randomly and they would pick them back up at like 5, Mm -hmm. 5 p.m., you know. So you'd be out there for a whole day and you would either be knocking on random people's doors or you'd be going to visit kids that were already coming to your bus route and you'd be out there all day long and you weren't allowed to like go shopping. You weren't allowed to do anything except for be, you know. Um, yeah. And I, it was, it wasn't very good neighborhood. So, and you had to stay with one other good, one other girl. Yeah. Right. So, um, like one of my kids houses, they had like Eight bullet holes in the front door. Well, I mean, it's Chicago, like, right? Like it's, it's called Chirac for a reason, right? And you're, and it's so like you know they want again. They know that these are easy, so called like again vulnerable people. A lot of these kids just wanted to get off the streets, like, I, and I don't mean like off the streets. I mean like it's a hot day in the middle of summer, and a bus captain would bribe you with ice right. cream if you go to church. And these kids have nothing to do, and they're like, okay, we'll we'll go to church. So again, poor. they're 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 poor. They have nothing to do, and someone's offering you free ice cream. And half the time, the parents didn't even know where the kids were, right? Or, could, or the parents were working, and the parents were like, "Yes, somebody's watching my kids for a day. I'll take the free daycare." Mm-hmm. But so so again about boosting numbers. Not these kids don't know what yes. they're doing. They don't care about your church. They just want to go sit somewhere that's cool, have a good time with their friends, and their parents are just happy that. They know that their kids are off at church, right? You, you send right. your kid to church, you assume they're safe. Yeah. So all of that bus route stuff, really. And the guys had it worse because they would go out there at 10 o'clock on, on Saturday and be out until 9 p.m. And then they had to get up at about 4 a.m. on Sunday and go pick up all the kids in Chicago, then take the kids to church, then take the kids home. Okay. And basically they were out till 1 a.m. And then they were supposed to go to college and just magically know everything as far as, you know, have good grades. So anyway, so I didn't ever graduate from college. I am still one class short. (laughs) So, um, but anyway, so I, um, after that, me and my husband got married and we moved to another city and we started attending an extreme IFB church like when I say extreme it was very very extreme I think um, that it was smaller and so it was easier to see yes. the extremism in a big church like a big hub like um, First Baptist of Hammond you didn't see the extremism until like stuff like the bus route like it right. was easy for them to hide their extremism but when you get to the smaller IFB churches that's where you see like people right. are nuts but it's the same people in both places just when they're but bigger it's like, crowds plus you're, plus you're older 
And yeah. so when you mm-hmm. when you're a kid and you you are shielded a little bit from yes. the crazy and the crazy's still there, but you just don't see it as much as when you're older. So, but I was when we first got there, it wasn't as extreme. It might have been that, but maybe I just wasn't listening properly or something. But it kind of subtly just got more and more. Just the beliefs were crazy. Like I had to wear nylons to Walmart because I was in the choir. I and I already had to wear skirts full time, and obviously everything. They were else. really hard about those nylons. Those right, are, those are going to cover up your legs. Well, be, it was because they said that if a man sees your legs in a like, if you have a skirt on, if a man sees your bare legs, he knows that there's only underwear underneath that skirt. So <laughs> then, that's going to cause him to think about you and sin, and so then that's on you. Oh yeah, it's always on you. If oh yeah. Sense. So I then I'm just like, that. yeah, that's what my uh, pastor's wife told me. <laughs> I have it in an email. Um, So anyway, so, but, and you couldn't wear nude color. Yeah. (laughs) Nylons. Anyway, um, so we stayed there for about three years, but once we had kids, then it got, started getting really bad and we started noticing a lot where they would, he would, okay, so the Orlando shooting. You called me um, right after this, and we weren't really talking much at this time. Right. Because I had been out of the IFB for a while. I had come out as gay. I wasn't hadn't come out as trans yet. But me and Samantha had just started dating, and Katie called me, and this was like the first time that I was like, maybe she'll wake up. I don't know. So go ahead. Yeah, because, yeah, I uh, I was very much just brainwashed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But, um. I was brainwashed for longer than you guys, but um, I don't know. Evan was in there. For You're a not actually brainwashed longer than them. You're just three years younger than them. Oh, yeah. that's true. So they <laughs> had an extra three years to get out of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But so it was the Orlando shootings. Okay, so the Orlando shootings really is when everything started changing because my pastor got up like that next day and started saying how this was a benefit to our country kind of thing. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, because he he always would preach it. I would kind of like zone out, you know, because he just bothered me sometimes. So on other issues. But um, but yeah. And I was like, wait, did he just say that? So then I would and, you know, he would say something like that and then just back up and like not say anything else. So then I would ask my husband when we got home, like, did he say like, did I think what he just said was that, you know? So then that night, because we had Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night church. So then that night, usually on Sunday mornings, he'd keep it mild. But Sunday night and Wednesday night were like the hardcore IFB group. Which is like, that's normal in IFB. Like, if you want to know oh, what yeah. an IFB church is really like, go to the Sunday night or the Wednesday night. Right. Don't go to Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. They're just bullshitting you. Right. So, but Sunday night, he said something else about the Orlando shooting and um, how it was benefiting our country. And a man from the back yelled out, burn them all. And I was like... And my husband was sitting on the platform because he was kind of like on staff, I guess, not paid at all. But anyway, so he just gets like beat red in the face. Like, what just happened? And I'm waiting for the pastor to be like, get out of here. But he said nothing. Like, just he acted like it didn't happen. So then I'm like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? So then the guy says something else like two minutes later, like um, shoot them all or, you know. Something like that. And I'm just getting like fuming mad. And we ended up staying there for like six more months, which was way too long. But we were so like terrified of leaving. Yeah. It was like this weird 
such a weird thing. But, um, but yeah, things like that started getting said where he would just say very racist things. And he was such a fanboy, Trump. <laughs> like every single message was no, not in the vote IFP. for Trump, vote for, like he would tell us who to vote for. Well, they, yeah, they Very always common. did subtly. Yeah. They always yeah. subtly told us. Or no, they but just he like, would be like, I don't care what the law is. You guys need to vote for Trump. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, you're not supposed to say it. Like, <laughs> but anyway, so then we ended up getting out of that. We went to another somewhat, I mean, it was IFB, but it wasn't as crazy or extreme as that. I but like. when yeah. we left that church, the way that they treated us after that was that that's what really like made me be like, okay, I don't like these people. Plus all of the scandals, like yeah. how they defended all of these men that raped girls, like, you know, underage girls and how they're just like, oh no, they're, they're lying. Like the girls are lying and no, like it, it was just sickening. So that was kind of like my wake up call is basically all the scandals that came out. Yeah. No, so, um, I mean, I'm not going to tell a lot about my story because I've dropped it throughout my episode, so I guess she'll just have to listen to all 68 episodes. But, no, um, like, mine was very similar, obviously, to Katie, you know, growing up, being moved from South Carolina to Indiana, and then, like, Deanna, going through the school system run by the church. And then the only, obviously, difference was that, you know, when I was 14, that was the first time that I realized I was attracted to girls, which actually I knew before then. Katie and I were talking earlier about how I got pulled from a Christian school because I was six years old and I kissed a girl and it was a whole scandal. And he liked it. And I liked it. I kissed a girl and I liked it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, I realized that I was attracted to girls and I spent a long, long time repressing that. And then when I was 21, 22, um, I checked myself into our rehab, which practiced gay conversion therapy. And also, I, you know, I, I had issues with drinking. It was a lot of stuff. I checked myself into the rehab and um, six months, two weeks after getting out of the rehab, I married a guy because I was going to cure myself through marriage. And then a couple months into it, I realized that I wasn't going to cure myself. And and I, I, it's not that I wanted to leave the IFB. When I left, it wasn't like I was like, I'm leaving the IFB. I just knew that I couldn't stay in and be queer. Like, I knew that that wasn't an option for me. So I had to leave. I was just kind of, like, kicked out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we all had, like, each each one of us has had different stories, storylines, but it's all the same thing. It's manipulation. It's abuse. It's, you know, like I said, like Katie said, the uh, ridiculous rules of you have to wear nylons whenever you're out in public, you know. So now that we've heard your story... Um, I'm going to kind of like put two things in. So one is what is the IFB's perception of women? And, um, also what are some of the most harmful perceptions you've had to change since leaving? So in the IFB, there's a lot of rules as you heard Deanna, Katie and Evan talk about like women must wear skirts. Um, let me just go through a couple things that you cannot do in the IFB. And it's not even like perceptions, but, um, women have to wear skirts and obviously be submissive towards men. Um, you cannot drink alcohol. You cannot dance. You cannot listen to music with a drum beat or a rock beat, including Christian contemporary music. Um, yep. You cannot date or hold hands with a man. Um, they believe in courtship. You have to have 
supervised dates. We also have to be six inches away from the man we're dating. Yes, six inches away. Um, you can't gamble or play with a deck of cards because it could lead to gambling. Uh, so lot, there's a lot of, of rules. So again, the question is, uh, what is the IFB's perception of women and what was hard for you to change when you left? Um, so... I mean, there's so much um, that we could go over here, and I'll just keep it brief, I guess. Um, but basically, um, the IFB is, in my opinion, perception of women is that we are less than. Um, and that's something that is um, drilled into your head from the moment you hit church nursery. Um, you are less than your male counterparts. Um, your peers, and then also you are to your the boys are always better than the girls, mm-hmm. um, and so it just it creates this very harmful um, um, feeling, yeah. I guess I should say, and mentality is what I'm looking for. It creates this very ha- bad mentality that makes you feel like you're not worthy and you have no value. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it, you don't right because you don't there. I mean, and they make it seem like oh, to be a wife and a mom, that's where you should put your value. But that's not even true, based on the teachings that they give us. Because um, being a wife, <laughs> you're basically doing whatever your husband needs you to do. You're not doing what you need. Um, and then being a mom is also it's not about you. It's about someone else. And there's um. There's a statement they have, an acronym um, for it's it's joy. And they're very much, you should be joyful and happy in everything that you do. And joy stands for Jesus, others, and then yourself. And that's how you should live your life, basically, is you should put Jesus first, then others, and yourself last. And always yourself is last. And as a woman in today's world, I mean, yes, a lot of that has happened over years but in a in the IFB cult or cult in general um the one way that they get women to stay is by just pushing them down further and further I mean when my mom was trying to left she told me she had never written a check before in her life and she was you know 20 some years old and she had never written a check um you don't have access, like for most women, they don't have access to their money, or even if they did, mm-hmm. like the man still has very much control, you know, for a lot of, and again, a, a lot of women, there's the threat of like losing their children right. again. And, and when you come from one of the hubs, like we did, you know that there's going to be the power of the church behind your husband if you do try to leave. Right. And, it, and there's, father. there's no amount of emotional, physical, or mental abuse that would be on your side. you know, as the woman. Um, So I I would say one of the most harmful things that has been for me being out of the IFB that's even carried on through my life today um, that I deal with in therapy is feeling like I'm valuable or I'm worthy. I never, no one told me I was worth anything. No one ever told me I had value. Um, 
So, you know, that's that's hard when you finally someone tells you that you're worth it, that you're worthy. Um, It's hard to even understand what that means to feel like you're important. Those things, those words mean something completely different in the IFB. And it's hard to learn what they actually mean and how to apply them to your life. Yeah. And I would say that to me is the most destructive thing that they have done to people, but mainly to women, is to make them feel like they are not worthy and they are not valuable. Yeah. Well, um, I'm just going to read a portion of this book. I mean, it's like a little couple sentences of what this IFB woman i mean she's kind of to the extreme um it's actually called created to be his help meet by debbie pearl and if you'd like to read some horror you can just read their book to train up a child and that will just give you nightmares for night for weeks and that will also tell you how children are treated in the ifb and again in these cults where you know they're taught to be beaten from the time that they're born but as back to women (laughs) (laughs) so this is what they think of women on this this is her words, not mine. God has clearly told us that, it, that not having regular sex is giving Satan an opportunity to tempt married couples. Wife, it is your God-ordained ministry to your husband to be his total enthusiastic sex partner, ready to enjoy him at all times. To do less is a grave error. If you love your husband as God commands, you will always seek him, seek to give him pleasure in doing so, you will fulfill your role as a suitable helper. And she also calls it a sin to show lack of sexual interest in your husband. So that's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so basically, another one statement she also makes in here is the wife serves her husband first, her children second others next and herself last right and that's it's very much like women don't matter their needs don't matter and all of that and that's why you have so many women that are depressed or they've suppressed things and don't process things but anyway um but one of my things that i did struggle with was this i think as far as not doing anything for myself Mm -hmm. whereas i it was always my kids and my husband first. Um, and it's not that my husband, my husband didn't buy into that, but I did. And almost to the point where like, I, I like putting pepper on food, but my husband hates it. So I wouldn't even put pepper on my own food. And it's like, what? That doesn't even make any sense. Right. (laughs) But it's things that you're like, okay, well he doesn't like that. So then I shouldn't like that. Mm -hmm. But, and it's not like my husband was telling me to do that but it's just these these thought processes that get right. banged in your head and all this stuff but so that's what i've struggled with is just kind of finding who i actually am because i've never been my own person ever mm-hmm. i went from my dad's house to my husband's house and yeah yeah um one thing i should say i mean i have been out of the ifb for I don't know, 12, 13 years um, now. And I was not married in it. I wasn't in a relationship with my husband in it. Um, I got out when I was 19. So, um, you know, I should not 
<laughs> or wouldn't have thought that I would have feelings like this. But that's what a cult does, is they get it in deep. And yeah. so when I got married, I went into a massive depression and had crazy anxiety because I couldn't, I had to work full time and I couldn't keep my house clean. I couldn't do all the laundry. I couldn't also make the dinner and um, keep the dishes clean without feeling, I just couldn't do it. And I was completely depressed because of it. And it just came out. It was like a a flip, a switch flipped in my brain um, that now suddenly I'm supposed to act a certain way and be, do things a certain way. And it's just because it was in there so deep. And I mean, struggling with these things even to today, I mean, I've been out for so long, but they're in deep. And until you deal with them, obviously, then <laughs> you kind of keep them buried because it's hard. Um, but... That's what that's what brainwashing and that's what a cult does is they get it in deep and they especially do it towards the women more. I feel like oh, yeah. my own personal opinion, I feel like they do it more to the women than to the men. Yeah. Do you have anything? Um, I mean, obviously, my for me, the biggest as far as women, I agree. Everything my sister said, absolutely, 100 percent. And then the only other perception, you know, has been the um, just uh uh, obviously with queer people and myself and not even realizing, you know, I didn't realize how long, or how long I was not okay with myself. I remember being out and like being proud, like on my social media. And if you ask me a question, but then I remember one day sitting at a, at a stoplight and breaking down crying because I realized that I was not okay with the fact that I was queer and I hated myself and I hit a lot. It's really hard for these kids that leave and they live in the self-hatred and they, even no matter how loud and proud they are in the back of their mind, there's still something that says, there must be something wrong with you. If there wasn't anything wrong with you, you wouldn't, you'd be normal. They still have that, that thinking of you, it would be normal if you just liked the opposite sex, if you just weren't in the wrong body, what kind of crazy person is trans? You must be crazy if you're trans. And so these harmful th thoughts get in their, in their mind and they stay in their mind. And so that's, I mean, it took a lot of time and it took a lot of therapy and working and learning to love myself. That took a lot of work. It wasn't just something that I walked away and, this, and it flipped off. And so if you come from one of these environments, you have trauma, you need to treat that trauma. That means you need to put work into it. And this podcast is a nice way to, you know, learn about yourself, but you need to do some one-on-one -on -one work. You really do. That's another thing in the IFB that they taught us. There's no such thing as mental illness. There's no such thing as therapy. Therapy was going to church and listening to your pastor. Mm -hmm. So it's like when my sister talked about when my dad died, we were never given any kind of therapy for that. We were never, when Deanna was never given any kind of child, you know, therapy for the trauma of the divorce. There was nothing like that. You're just supposed to buck up and move on and those scars, and you, then you just had more abuse on top of those scars. So piggybacking off of that, what are um, some beliefs you've changed since leaving? Um, do you have any beliefs that you had in the IFB that, <laughs> that have now changed? <laughs> I'll just start by saying this is Deanna. <laughs> um, I would say for me personally, the biggest one is God. <laughs> and my non-belief in God um, and my realization of um, just kind of the myth of that of what I you know what, everything I was taught creation all of those things like I've totally changed my belief on that um, aspect of it and don't believe in God um, and 
also, I mean, obviously we were taught very much, you know, that about gay and queer people, trans, like every, everything, LGBTQ, whatever, all of those, that all of it was wrong. And I remember feeling that way, even into an adult, um, being an adult and being married and then realizing that it's not my job, one, to decide how someone lives their life. And um, I very much live UBU and, um, you know, it's tough. It's definitely not something that the IFB is about um, at all. And I definitely um, have kind of taken that on. And I'm, I, I try to be as supportive as possible of everyone in my family, no matter what, you know, their belief is. Um, because it's not my job as a person, as a human on this earth, it is not my job to decide how you live your life. Um, so you do you. And that's probably the biggest thing that changed is that belief. This is Katie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do still believe in God. Um, I, my perception of God has changed. Um, whenever I was in the extremist church, it was more like God was like he was going to strike you dead or, you know, strike your house. If you're, so we were taught, like, if you had a flat tire, you weren't giving enough money to the church. Like right. that's what God was doing Every to you. Every little thing wrong in your life right. is God being like, hey, you need to give more. Oh yeah, exactly. And that was very, it, it's so messed up. But, Manipulative. and it's like now what I've learned when I've been to multiple churches now and just, um, community Christian churches and, um, all types, um, kind of searching for the right place for me and my family. But, um, what I have found is that God, I don't know, the God that I believe in is not like that. He is loving. They don't, they never talked about God's love in that other church. And, um, so yeah. And I'm like, God's not like that. I mean, yes, everybody can view God in different ways, but the way that I do is God is loving. And like, if he wasn't, why did he die on the cross kind of thing? Like there is a loving God. And, um, and I believe that God loves gays because they didn't believe in that extremist church. They didn't believe that like you could go to heaven if you were gay mm. kind of thing. Um, which is a whole nother topic, but, um, like I obviously believe. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, but so I still believe in God and I still go to church. I do not go to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I go to pretty much a Sunday morning service and my kids love church and it's just part of our life and it's very good for us. Um, but my perception of God has changed and I you know, we were raised to wear skirts and all the nylons and stuff. I haven't worn nylons in years and years. Um, and then I wear pants now. <laughs> oh, it was a big deal. <laughs> we went shopping for pants since we've been here. And I, I was looking, I was like, man, you have a body for pants. Yeah, <laughs> like, you yeah. look so well, good in pants, I've which looked, is weird, I'm sure, for the clerk listening to us, like, right? what the hell is going on? <laughs> well, I've only been out of the like crazy IFB for less than a year. I mean, it's yeah. probably coming up on a year, but. 
so I'm like, you know, I don't know how to buy pants. Like <laughs> I, there's so many things, you know, so, but you know, there's some things that I've changed my mind on about the little nitty gritty things. But as far as God goes, I, you know, it's just, shifting. it's just a different, t- yeah. I don't believe in that crazy angry God, God, right. God, the God that is just used by a cult to control people. That's right. not a God. It's a, it's a man saying this, this is God. I, it's not my fault, but God yeah. has said that you all have to give me all your money. And right. also you have to have sex with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pastor who's turned into a prophet. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. that's not a pastor. So. Yep. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so we're, so we're coming to the end now. We're wrapping it up. We just got two more questions. Go ahead, honey. Um, are, are there any words of comfort or encouragement you have for survivors of the IFB who are queer? And what are your final thoughts you would like to leave to any survivors of a cult? Um, I'll just say um, to survivors of a cult, I want to say it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And um, for however long you were in, for me, it was 19 years. Um, So sometimes I have to give myself a little bit of space um, and realize that I was in for 19 years and there's 19 years worth of teachings. Um, And so it's not going to just, I'm not going to just be over it. Even though I've been out for 10, 11 years, it, I'm, it's not just over it. 19 um, years of trauma and teaching. Right, so trauma, trauma for sure. Right. Um, so, but it's definitely worth it. Um, it's been the most freeing experience I've ever had. Um, obviously. Um, but <laughs> um, but it's it's freeing. It's like t- like taking a deep breath on a cool fall day. <laughs> um, I don't really, I know that sounds silly, but it definitely is that. I mean, it's, it, it's so worth it. And there's, there's never, in my opinion, there's never reason to go back to that type of um, dominating experience. Yeah. Um, and um, to queer um, individuals, um, this is my, I want to say I'm sorry. Like I, I'm sorry that your families, if your families treat you in the way they do. Um, I, I wish that, you know, I could be your sibling (laughs) and be there for you. Um, because there's something about family supporting you, um, no matter what phase of life you're in. But I feel like that especially, um, so I'm sorry that your family, um, maybe has tossed you aside or doesn't speak to you. Um, I'd say it gets better, but I don't know. I'm not queer. um, And so I don't know from personally that your family will talk to you. I don't know. But I could say find someone who is supportive of you. Find, um, you know, find someone and find your new family. Family doesn't always have to be blood. Family Family is exactly. your village, your your people surrounding you. And those are the people that are going to matter in the long run. Yeah. So. Um, what I, first to um, anybody that is queer, I, for a long time, I had a misconception. Mm-hmm. Is that the word I want? Um, yeah, a misconception on 
what, so I believed what I was taught. I didn't have my own feelings or own thoughts about it. And I really didn't until Evan came out as trans. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, oh, I probably need to like think about this like for myself. And I mean, and it took me, I mean, there was like months of just thinking and just reading up about it, more like learning, I guess. And then I would always read Evan's posts on Facebook because they're very like the whole um, all of your outfits and stuff. I was like, oh, there's like history and, you know, all that stuff. So um, but anyway, so I had to really learn. And I think it was just very much like I had no knowledge of the subject. So then I was just like, no, I don't believe that, you know, and um, but I'm. Like me and me and Evan don't agree on everything and we don't have to. But I also know that like if you if you do believe in God, because there are some queer that believe in God. They're queer people of faith, yes. Yes, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, I just want to tell you that not all Christians are psychos and mean and awful and will hate you kind of thing. Um Yes, there are a lot that do. And that's just awful. But um but basically that you know, God is God is loving. But basically that it's not everybody believes that like I know that the crazy people are usually the loudest, but don't buy into like I know that there are crazy people, but there's not everybody is like that. And um uh, what was I saying? And then do you have anything the for just uh, cult survivors in general, like some quick words of advice to them if you're leaving a cult, if you're left a cult and you're still struggling? Oh, it is very, getting out is so good for you and so freeing. I mean, it is scary at first, but it's like now that I've been out for less than a year, it's been the most like rewarding year. Me and my husband are, you know, doing this together kind of thing, trying to figure out what we believe. And now it's like we kind of will come to something and say, oh, well, we need to like actually think about of that for ourselves. And it's nice, you know, and there's a lot of times we're like, we don't really know what we believe about that. So let's try it and we'll see, you know. So it's very freeing because you kind of are finding like your whole new self and it's it's awesome and it's it's an awesome experience so i would just say do it just take the plunge and get out and do it and it'll you will see the rewards in you know as time goes on yeah um and what i would say so um to those who are queer uh it does get better um it just looks different so whatever conception you have in your mind of how it's going to look it might not look that way you might not end up, your family might come around and your family might not come around. Your spouse may come with you. Your spouse may not come with you. Whatever it is, it might, it does get better. It absolutely gets better. But the perception that you have, you might not have to let that go. You might have to let go of your expectations and just let yourself heal how you heal. And again, going back to do the work, 
read books, um, Brene Brown's books, any of her books, but especially Gifts of Imperfection, listen to some healthy podcasts. If you can go to therapy, go to therapy. If you can go to uh, free group therapy, go to free group therapy. If you just need to be online and be in a support group, you need to reach out. You need to get help. And of course, you're always welcome to message me and Paul. We get messages every single week from people all over the world and we talk to. We always respond. If you've sent us a message and we haven't responded, send it again because it's probably just it just got put in the wrong folder or something happened. We respond to people all the time. But um, again, it will get better. You just need, you have to take time. And that's what's painful is waiting for thing, wounds to heal. Because if you just left, if you're six months out, if you're a year out, your wounds are still going to be fresh. And that applies to any survivor, you know, not just if you're queer. If you're a survivor of a cult and you're just trying to get through the next day, again, reach out, let yourself build community. It's hard after the community that you've had has turned its back on you and you were so sure and certain that like this is what you wanted to do for your life, with your life, and now everything seems stripped away. It's hard to reach out and let yourself build community again. But you look like you have something to say. Yeah. What? If you're a family member of someone that is queer, mm-hmm. it do not turn your back on them or cut them off like oh they don't believe the same way i do well i'm just gonna cut them off but that's not family no like you are no you are not a a family member and you know my parents did that with evan and i think that was one of those moments where i was like what what just happened because then i was like sobbing like why would they do that to evan it didn't make it doesn't make sense so if you're a family member, you you don't have to agree with every little decision that your brother or sister or whoever does. You don't have to, you know, me and Evan don't agree on everything, but we would, both of us would do anything for the other person and we would never stop a relationship. That's true. It doesn't make sense. But there's also a lot of healthy respect between us because if we don't oh, yeah. agree, there's still respect. There's still boundaries. We have boundaries and we don't. Right. Violate those. Well, we we went through a period of time when you first came out. Yeah. Where we both were trying to change each other. Yeah. You wanted me to leave the IFB. Yes. (laughs) Leave the IFB. Yeah. (laughs) But I also wanted you to come back and get married to crazy guy. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, you know, like we were trying to change each other for years and that's why we didn't have a good relationship. We didn't respect each other's decisions. Mm -hmm. So like I respect Evan as a transgender man Mm -hmm. and he respects me as a A Christian. Christian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but so that's what I mean. Like you don't have to agree on everything. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be, you know, like we're probably totally different in like so many ways. But we are so close, too. You just need to have empathy. Empathy, yeah. Right. And respect. Right. Respect. Yeah. Because, and if, and, but if your family member is not respecting you, you don't have to put yourself through that. You don't owe them anything. Right. But Katie's right. It took us a long time to figure out that what that was and what that looked like for us. And so for a long time, we didn't have a relationship. You know, but so, but if you're from a cult or, you know, just hang in there, give yourself time, reach out, get help. And uh, we've already gone a little longer than usual, so we're going to wrap this up. Um, Honey, do you have anything to say? If you happen to be on YouTube tonight, type in Jack Scop, S-C-H-A-A-P, Rod, R-O-D. Or you can do um, Polish Shaft. Or Polish Shaft. (laughs) And you will see the church 
that Evan, Katie, and Deanna grew up in in a sermon to make you realize what a cult really is. (laughs) And with that, we say, have a good day, stay queer, and don't Don't get a lobotomy. Get a circumcision if you don't want one. No. Don't let Deanna say the word. Um, but before I do that, I am going to plug a reference. Check out The Shooting Salvationist. It is a book about the history of the IFB if you want to know more. And stay queer. And don't get a little botomy. Yes. Our little suckling sapphists and our, oh my God, Paul's going to be so mad. Paul, don't be mad. Our suckling sapphists. Deanna, help me. Our Allied hookers. Allied hookers. And our degenerate homocrats have some good sodomy tonight. What what are you looking at me for? Those are weird things to say. Because you don't listen. That's the problem. I don't listen to the end. If no. you don't listen to the episodes, you don't get it. So the, for those of you more. who have our allied, our, oh my God. So stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. Our, our little suckling sapphists, our Something allied else. hookers. Oh, maybe it's just queer shit. I'm sorry, guys. Oh, I don't know, guys. Um, You know what? <laughs> This is why Paul's not allowed to go away on vacation. But we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Sorry, Paul.